sermon passage this morning will be from John chapter 12, and we're going to read from verses 12 through 16. And the question we want to ask today is, who is Jesus? Who is he? Um, There's a lot of confusion in our world about who Jesus is, isn't there? And this is true um, on the streets of New York City, in the streets of Chandler, and even in the pews of many churches today, a lot of people have trouble um, with understanding who Jesus is. In our sermon text today, we're going to learn that the first century Jews in Jerusalem also were confused about who Jesus was. John writes in chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out and met him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after he was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and done to him. Uh, A few months ago, I was uh, leaving the church and I was walking out to Dobson Avenue. And they're in the process of closing uh, the entire street. Um, There's police officers on every corner and a few helicopters um, above. And it turns out that President Obama was going right past the church. And uh, as a a few of us stood on the sidewalk and watched, there was this motorcade of about 30 or 40 um, vehicles that came roaring down the street. There was a couple ambulances, some SUVs, um, a couple Hummers. You see, President Obama, uh, it's a pretty big deal for Chandler to have the president in our city, right? So we we rolled out the red carpet for him. In our text this morning, um, the red carpet is also rolled out for Jesus. He's coming to the big city, and it's a big deal. Um, That's why we find this account in all four Gospels. And as Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the Passover feast, the city is just buzzing with excitement and anticipation. This local celebrity, this prophet, this miracle worker is finally coming into the town. And they also think Jesus is a certain type of a prophet, a certain type of a miracle worker. Specifically, they think he's a king. They think he's a national liberator. They think he's a king like this. There we go. Rambo, right? Yeah, they think he's Rambo and he's going to come in and he's going to start a coup and overtake the Romans. So in our text, it's shot through, it's charged with all kinds of political overtones. Look with me at verse 13. It says that they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Why did they take palm branches? Palm branches were really common um, in Israel, just like they are in Chandler. But the difference is palm branches had a very specific symbolic meaning there. You see, 200 years before Jesus lived, there was a man named Judas Maccabeus. I think we have a picture of him. Judas Maccabeus um, is popular because he overtook the Syrians, the foreign invaders, and he rededicated the temple in the city of Jerusalem to God. And when he did all of this, his followers went out and took palm branches and waved them. And so ever since this time, palm branches began to take this symbolic understanding of, of freedom and liberation. It was kind of like their national flag, right? And so for this crowd to come out of the city waving palm branches would have been a radical, dangerous, revolutionary thing to do. It would have been like taking the American flag down the streets of Iran or North Korea and waving it and screaming freedom. 
And even gets more intense. Look at the rest of the verse. It says the shout, the crowd is shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. If you've ever seen Braveheart, you know, there's that popular scene where uh, William Wallace is going back and forth. And at the end of it, he's, what does he, what does he scream? He screams freedom, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what the crowd is screaming. You see, they're screaming freedom. They want freedom. They want a Rambo. They want a William Wallace king. They want freedom from heavy taxes and unjust imprisonment, from religious and cultural corruption. And this is what I like to call the horse king. And uh, this is uh, represented by our uh, thoroughbred uh, brown horse here. He's going to represent the horse king for us today. And you see, the reason this is called the horse king is because the Jews expected Um, their king to be riding into Jerusalem on a horse because it signified that he was coming to make war. But of course, he didn't do that, did he? See, the problem, though, is it's not just this Jerusalem crowd that has false expectations of who Jesus is. It's also us. Oftentimes, you and me have unholy expectations of who Jesus is and what he'll do for us, don't we? Um... I know several times in my life I've uh, made deals with God. Have you ever done that before? If you only get me out of this bind, God, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you and never sin again. Or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, we do this same type of a thing where we make a man-made picture of Jesus where he serves our wishes, our desires, and our needs. Another um, horse king is a, this kind of consumeristic view of Jesus. Many of you have probably heard it before, but basically it argues that if you just believe, receive, and act on the promises of God, you get whatever you want. It's kind of like God is a cosmic vending machine. And if you just put faith in, out plops material blessings, cars, money, beautiful wives, good neighbors, big churches, anything you want, you get. All you have to do is have faith. But again, this is another horse king. This is another man-made version of who Jesus is. Another horse king is what I like to call the ultimate fighter Jesus. Uh, there's, a, there's a pastor up in the Northwest, and he says this about Jesus. Real men like Jesus are dudes. Heterosexual, win a fight, punch you in the face, dudes. Jesus is not a long-haired, effeminate-looking dude, but rather an ultimate fighter with calloused hands and big biceps. He says, I cannot worship a hippie, diaper-halo Christ because I cannot worship a guy I could beat up. Well, Jesus was certainly no sissy, but he wasn't a dude. He wasn't somebody who was punching people in the face, was he? No, that's the horse king. That's a different version of Jesus. Jesus was a peacemaker. Jesus let other people punch him in the nose. Jesus was sacrificed for the sins of all humanity. And you see, what this pastor's doing here, and what oftentimes you and I do, is we create Jesus in our own image, or at least our favorite one. And liberals and conservatives and everybody in between have been guilty of this for generations. You see, if we read the Gospels and Jesus never surprises us, if we're never a little bit offended at what he says, then we're probably reading the Gospels wrong. Because Jesus is a radical figure. Finally, another horse king is a political Jesus. You know, some people make Jesus into a Democrat or a Republican, don't they? They make Jesus um, a fanboy for their certain political hobby horses. And they define his kingship in terms of American politics. Remember this church uh, that I visited a few years ago? It was uh, in the Midwest. 
And I remember sitting in the pew of the church, and when I first sat there, I noticed a Christian flag on one side of the room and an American flag on the other. You know, and already I was just kind of like, okay, you know, just be patient, Brandon, it's okay. And then the service started, and they started with the Pledge of Allegiance, and then they went into the National Anthem. And then the pastor got up there, and he prayed that we would take America back for God. That we would make this nation a Christian nation again. Have you ever heard that before? You see, the problem here... The problem with what this pastor is doing is he's fusing together the kingdom of America and the kingdom of God. But in in doing so, he's forgetting what Pilate said and what Jesus said during their conversation. If you remember, Jesus told Pilate that he was the king of the Jews, but that he was a different kind of a king with a different kind of kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. This is the way of the horse king. But they're from another place. You see, Jesus defines what kind of king he is, and he does this in verse 14 with a simple yet prophetic act. Look with me at verse 14. This is how Jesus responds to the crowd's expectations, to their misunderstandings. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. What does Jesus do to clarify things, to adjust their expectations? He finds a donkey and he sits on it. Now, the problem here is when we think of a donkey, what do we think of? You know, we think of uh, maybe Shrek's best friend, donkey, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, don't, don't think that. Or we think of uh, maybe, you know, a, a, a kind of slow, dumb, smelly animal. You know, if you go around calling people donkeys, don't, don't do that either. You get in trouble for that, right? It's because donkeys have bad associations in our culture. But in the ancient world, they were honorable creatures. Businessmen, traders, and even kings would ride on them. And here's the important thing to remember, is that when a king was coming to make war, he rode a donkey. And he had a sword in his hand, and his followers were screaming freedom. But when he came to make peace, he rode one of these. He rode a donkey. It was a sign of peace. And so when he came through the gates of Jerusalem that day, and the crowd expected him to be on a horse, but he was actually on a donkey... The crowd should have been scratching their heads, asking, what kind of king is this? I thought he would have been on a horse. Jesus is telling him that I'm not that kind of king, but I'm I'm this kind of a king. And this kind of a king means at least five things. First, it means Jesus is a humble king. He's a humble king. In our text, in verse 15, it says, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. John is quoting a passage from the Old Testament here, from the book of Zechariah. And in the book of Zechariah, uh, the prophet is looking forward to a coming king of Israel. And he says this, he says, Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. Sounds like Jesus, huh? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah and John are telling us that Jesus is a humble king. A few years ago, I got a chance to meet some royal families um, in the Middle East. And, you know, when you meet these kind of people, you, you know, you shake their hand and you nod and maybe you say a few words. But, you know, you don't ask them their golf handicap, right? You don't ask them if they want to go get a cup of coffee later. You know, these people, they're just, they're not approachable. You know, they're, they're dignified. They're honored. They're, they're kind of above us in a sense. But what this text is telling us in Zechariah and in John is that Jesus wants to have coffee with us, that he's approachable, that he's humble, that he's kind. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is a humble king. He's the towel and basin king. He's the suffering servant. He's the king who humiliated himself and became man for you and for me. This is what I like to call the donkey king. The way of the donkey. Second, Jesus is also a peaceful king. Christy Brinkley, a popular model and actress, was on Matt Lauer the other day. And she was talking about her messy divorce with Peter Cook. And um, at the end of the interview, she started weeping. And she looked at Matt and she said, I just want peace. If you've ever been in a difficult marriage before, if you've ever been through divorce, you probably know that feeling where you just want peace. Trayvon Martin, many of you know the story, the 17-year-old boy in Florida who was shot and killed by George Zimmerman, a 28-year-old self-appointed neighborhood watch captain. And there's still a lot of questions surrounding this situation, right? We don't have all the details, so we shouldn't make harsh conclusions But we do know that his mom wants justice and peace. We can understand that. Especially if you're a parent, you can understand that, can't you? In Syria, where an estimated 9,000 people have been killed from the Assad regime, people are crying out in the streets for peace. A young woman tweeted the other day, We just want peace and a better future. But the Assad regime is killing us and the world doesn't seem to care. You see, you and I live in a world that is aching for peace. Many people in the sanctuary this morning want peace. And Zechariah tells us about the coming king. In Zechariah 9.10, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, Israel's coming king, Jesus, this text tells us, will proclaim, will preach, will announce, will bring, will usher in peace to this world. And that peace is now here. The interesting thing here about this word peace in Hebrew, um, the word is shalom. Can you say that with me? Shalom. Yeah, it's a fun word to say. Well, this word uh, shalom, it means more than just um, a peace of mind or a ceasefire. It has this bigger meaning of universal flourishing, of wholeness, of delight. It's the way things should be. You see, a world of peace is a world where there's healthy marriages and secure children. It's a world where um, neighbors help you out. It's a world where every single man, woman, boy, and girl is connected with their God, loves their God, and loves one another. This is the the prophetic, shalomic understanding of peace. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, riding on a donkey, what he's telling the world is that peace has finally arrived. That he is the Prince of Peace. And that with his sacrificial death on the cross, he has overcome sin, death, and evil so that peace can exist in this world. And the good news is that peace is here now, and it's available and it's accessible to you and to me. Have you been experiencing this peace lately? Have you been abiding and living in this peace? And what about peacemaking? Are you sharing this peace? Are you sharing um, the gospel with the people you love? And are you extending that peace? Are you a peacemaker? Are you someone who lessens tensions, seeks solutions, and makes sure that communication is clear? Jesus is a peaceful king, but he's also a courageous king, isn't he? In uh, the verse before chapter 12, in John 11, we learn that the Pharisees and the religious leaders are trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to take his life. If you look at verse 57... 
says, but the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they could arrest him. You see, Jesus was a wanted man. He was an outlaw, wasn't he? He had a bounty on his head. People were trying to kill him because he was making a ruckus. And he knew this. You know, what does he do? He goes right into the teeth of the religious establishment in Jerusalem. He walks right through the sheep gate in plain sight of everyone because he is a courageous king. Because there's a bigger story. Because there's something else that is going on in this text. Because he has a calling from God. And Christians, people like you and me, are also called to be courageous, aren't we? A few decades ago, um, there were some archaeologists, and they were digging in Rome, and they found this school. And um, on the school, they found a piece of graffiti. I think we have a slide of it. Here we go. And uh, this piece of graffiti, it's, it's making fun of Christians in the early church. It's from around the 3rd century, and uh, there's a person, probably Jesus, up on a cross with the head of a donkey, and then there's somebody worshiping him. And in Greek, it says, Alex Menos worships God. Alex Menos worships God. And what this was, it was, it was a Christian, probably named Alex Menos, who was being ridiculed and who was being made fun of for his faith in the third century. You see, we know from historical records that Christians, particularly in the first 300 years of the church, went through severe persecution for their faith. They were crucified upside down in Rome. They were tortured. They were blamed for all of society's problems. It takes courage being a Christian, doesn't it? It's not easy. There's a friend I used to have. I'm still friends with him. But uh, he was in Louisville, so I don't, I don't get to see him too much anymore. But he always tells me, um, you know what, Brandon? Christianity is just a crutch. Have you ever heard that before? Christianity is just a crutch. It's just something that you believe in to make your life feel better. Right? Maybe this is what some of the people in the New York City interview um, believed. Tell that to the early church. Tell that to the underground church. Tell that to Pastor Yusuf Nadarhani in Iran who's on death row because he's an apostate of Islam. Tell that to people like you and me who fight every single day tooth and claw against temptation, against the evil one. Christianity is not a crutch, it's a cross. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Sometimes crosses are hard to bear, aren't they? Sometimes it takes courage. Sometimes we feel like giving up, maybe taking a break in our relationship with God. But there's a reason why we don't give up. There's a reason why we keep on keeping on, isn't there? And that's because Jesus isn't just a courageous king, but he's a loving king. John 15:9 says, As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then Jesus goes on to show that love by dying for his disciples. There's two different kingdoms here. There's two different ways for things to operate. There is um, the kingdom of this world. There's the way of the horse, which exercises power over people. This is how the states run, right? Do what I say or else something happens. And if you have this kind of a power, if you have this kind of um, um, power over people, you might be able to change your behavior. You might be able to change how they act, but you'll never be able to change their heart. Right? For that, you need a different kind of a king. You need a donkey king. You see, the donkey king, Jesus, exercises power under people, doesn't he? This is a different kind of a king. And this has the power to do what bullets, laws, and bombs never can. It has the power to transform hearts. It has the power to make enemies into friends. 
See, if you really want to change someone, husbands, wives, if you really want to change someone, you don't boss them into submission, do you? You don't boss them into submission. You sacrifice and you love and you put up with annoying habits and you keep on doing it until it hurts. And then you pray and you cry out for help from God. And this is precisely what Jesus does. He's a loving king that overcomes the world by an unanticipated and ultimate act of love. Um, my favorite song, one of my favorite songs when I was growing up is that hymn that goes, um, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Remember that one? And uh, one of the things I really liked about that song was one that came from straight from the pages of Scripture. But two is it, it, it identifies, I think, what's, what's really true. The world doesn't know us by our political hobby horses. The world doesn't know us by our cultural wars, by how much hate mail we send to abortion clinics and, and, and gay rights activists. That's not how the world's supposed to know us. The world's supposed to know us by how much we love our enemies. The world's supposed to know us by how much we love those we find annoying, how we love each other, how we forgive one another, the people at our church, the people in our families, the people at work, the people on the margins, those who are vulnerable. That's how the world is supposed to know us because that's a Jesus kind of love. Finally, Jesus isn't just a humble, peaceful, courageous, and loving king. He's also your king and my king. He's a personal king, isn't he? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is king and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess that Jesus is your king, not Caesar, drugs, sex, movies, career, but Jesus, if Jesus is on the throne of your heart, then you're saved. Then he's your personal, loving, and caring king. Um, when I was in Louisville, uh, my family and I went to an international festival downtown once. And uh, we walked in. We had to park a few blocks away. And we walked in, and somehow we got caught up with this crowd of people. And so we just started walking with them. And then, as we kind of got closer to this uh, festival, um, the streets were just lined with people that started clapping for us and cheering. And I didn't know what was going on. It turns out this group we were with was a group of immigrants who had just become U.S. citizens. And so everybody was cheering and clapping. One guy came up and gave me a high five and said, good job, and I, thank you. You know, I just, I kind of went with it. You know, it felt, it felt kind of good. You know, it's, it's a privilege to be a citizen of the United States of America, isn't it? But it's even a greater privilege to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Our allegiance, loyalty, love are wrapped up with our king. Do you believe? Have you believed? All it takes to become a citizen in the kingdom of God is belief. You don't have to get your life together. You don't have to overcome all your addictions or be a good person. All you have to do, according to Paul in Romans 10.9, is believe that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus is the long-awaited King of Israel who came to make the world right, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was raised three days later, and ascended to the throne of God where he now reigns over all creation. If you just believe that story, if you confess your sins to him and follow him, you're in. And that's all it takes for the rest of us. There's two ways before us this morning. There's the way of the horse. There's doing things our way domesticating Jesus, making him into our own image. And then there's the way of the donkey. There's Jesus' way. And I pray that as we enter Holy Week, that we would explore what kind of a king Jesus is. 
And what does it mean to, to, to go in the way of the donkey? To be people who are um, humble and peaceful and courageous and loving. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world where people are confused about who Jesus is. And we thank you that the scriptures tell us that he is a king, a humble, peaceful, loving, and courageous king. We're amazed that he would want anything to do with us, but we know that he does. We know that he loves us and that you love us and that you sent your king to wear a crown of thorns to be coronated on a cross and then to rise three days later in victory. And now we confess that he has all power and authority. As we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, we confess that we are weak, that we have missed the mark, that we have fallen short, that we have not loved you with our whole heart, And for this, we ask for your forgiveness. God, we need your grace, mercy, and love. We need you to remind us that our only hope in the Christian life is through the gospel. Pray that you would renew, restore, and revive us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.